as we were chatting a bit earlier, we are long-term investors. Mm -hmm. Our portfolios are tilted uh, relatively meaningfully towards Asia. Mm -hmm. But it might be helpful just to set the stage for this conversation to help us kind of define both the where and the what of Asia mm -hmm. uh, today. So maybe you can sort of walk us through that. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, for your uh, investors, for your audience, with the outlook from across the Indian Ocean, you can truly appreciate the formal, correct, expansive definition of Asia a lot better than people who are far away and even perhaps better than people who are in Asia. Let me, let me explain. When you're in Asia, each culture is like a universe unto itself. Indians can be Indo-centric, Chinese, Sino-centric. Uh, and when you are in America or in Europe, sometimes the view of Asia is viewed through a political lens, which is to say Sino-centric. Whereas I think, you know, sitting in, in, uh, in South Africa and looking at the vast expanse of Asia from there, you can appreciate that actually geographically there's only one definition of Asia. All geographers in the world actually agree on one definition of Asia. It stretches all the way from the Red Sea and the Mediterranean Sea to the Sea of Japan, right? Mm -hmm. So a vast, vast canvas. And that, that is Asia. And so even now as you allocate more, and it's great that you have a, a more, uh, you know, sort of a long position and a macro, you know, positive view on Asia. And that's certainly, you know, a, a thesis that I very much agree with. But my definition of Asia pushes the envelope in the sense that I'm actually using the full ge geography and looking at the last 30 years, how fast Asia has come together into a system. And I use the word system a lot in my work because it means that there's an intensity of the relations. And that's, it's only taken 30 years for Asia to achieve the system-like nature, and it's only going to deepen in the future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No, that's very interesting. In, in, in the popular kind of nomenclature, popular press, we read a lot about sort of this new rise of Asia. Right. But obviously in, in reading the book and sort of reading about the history of Asia, that new rise may not be as appropriate a term as kind of the return of right. Asia. But I'm curious how this is viewed both in the East mm -hmm. uh, and in the West. Right. Maybe you can kind of chat about, I mean, in the West we think of Asia not necessarily as a threat, but right. as a power that may be kind of confronting yeah. the West. Yeah. And I'm just curious with the return versus the rise, what, what both sides in your travels, kind of how they chat about that. Mm -hmm. Asians for sure think of it as a renaissance, yeah. right? Of course, because you know, at, at a bare minimum level, Asians know that their civilizations have been the vastest, the most populous, and at, at various stages of history, the wealthiest as well, the crown jewels of European colonies and so forth. And even geopolitics to be a global power has meant that you need to be an Asian power. If you're not influential in Asia, especially today, how could you claim that you're globally influential? This is where the 50% you know, of the world population and GDP is. So I think Asians get that. From the Western point of view, if we're going to sort of just caricature for a moment, it, a lot of people would think of it as a rise, as if it's new. So they might not appreciate the historical part. But here's where we can all agree. It's happened a lot faster than anyone thought, right? Even in Asia. China's, the speed of China's rise, let's be clear, surprises Chinese, right? They are astounded by their own success. We need to know that that is how Chinese themselves look at their own situation. You know, Indians 
feel that you know this took way longer than it should have to get the wheels in motion, but now we're taking off also. And so I think, and then geopolitically, of course, if you think about just the 1990s, the post-Cold War period of Western triumphalism, there was a sense that it would be decades before there would be a geopolitical peer competitor or that any other region could possibly approximate Western wealth and strength. And that's, again, all happened in a very compressed period of time. And it, maybe it shouldn't be as much of a surprise because globalization is, of course, the reason why that happened. And the faster you accelerate globalization, or at least the faster globalization had accelerated or been accelerating in the 90s and 2000s, the faster Asia was going to benefit. And that's where we are today. This podcast is for information purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Ford Asset Management. This podcast has not been reviewed by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Ford Asset Management is licensed with the Monetary Authority of Singapore.